0: Good morning, good morning. Glad to see each one of you this morning. Glad you're connecting with those folks around you. Well, my name is Tom, and uh, it's my pleasure to welcome you this morning. So glad that you are here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We are really especially grateful and glad that you have chosen to be here with us this morning. All of you that are watching online, welcome this morning. We're so glad that you're with us as as well. And we have gathered in this place to worship our God. And again, as I remind you each week, our God is a God who is indescribable. You can't even put words to Him, and yet we try with these songs that we sing, and they're good ways for us to help us to worship the Lord. So as we worship this morning, I invite you, the lyrics on the screen, make them your own this morning. Realize that God is here in this room this morning. He's standing right there in front of each one of us to to, uh, to receive our wealth, our worship, to receive our love and our thanksgiving that we're going to give Him this morning. We're going to begin this morning by declaring that He, Jesus, is the only King forever. I invite you to stand and let's worship together.
1: Only king forever, forever you, are you are the only King forever, forevermore. that you are victorious, you are the only King.
0: Try to find someone that you maybe don't know, meet them, greet them this morning, get to know them for a moment, and then we'll continue, and then you may be seated. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness to us. Each and every day, you show us how much you love us, how much you care for us, mainly just by allowing us to wake up again. And so God, we rejoice in your goodness, and we thank you. And now we give you our tithes and our offerings. And we ask that you would bless them, that you would use them to further your kingdom here and abroad. In Jesus' name, amen. And while you're giving your tithes and offerings, we're going to teach you a new song this morning. You know, in the Psalms it says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And this song is based on that scripture. We're going to teach you the chorus here, so you can just listen the first time, and then we'll invite you to join with us.
1: This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Oh, I will rejoice and be glad in it. He brought us one morning to dancing, from glory to glory. This is the day the Lord has made, so what are we waiting for? La, 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 come on and praise the Lord, la, 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 join with us now, this is the day, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Oh, I will rejoice and be glad in it. He's brought us from morning to dancing, from glory to glory. This is the day the Lord has made. So, what are we waiting for? La 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 la. Come on and praise the Lord.
0: La, la 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 la. That's how the chorus goes. Let's stand together and worship. We'll put this whole thing together.
1: Lord. To sing of my Savior's love, I live because He is risen, la, 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 sing that with us, I live, I live, I live. has made I will rejoice and be glad in it this is the day the Lord has made oh I will rejoice and be glad in it this is the day this is the day the Lord has made oh I will rejoice and be glad in it he brought us from morning to dance.
0: disciples one that would be like you that would be a counselor that would be a guide that would lead us into all truth the holy spirit so holy spirit as we've sung you are welcome in this place this is our heart cry may we become more aware of your presence not only when we gather together corporately. But even in our daily lives, when we get into our cars, when we walk into the grocery store, in our place of work, in our homes, that we would be reminded that you are there with us each and every moment. And that you are always talking, you are always leading, you are always guiding us into all truth. May we have soft hearts and open ears to be able to be tuned in to your voice. Make this your prayer again. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here.
1: Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be over by your presence, Lord. Amen. You may be seated.
2: Good morning. Didn't they do a great job this morning? Just appreciate. It. Let's give them a hand, okay? That was good. <clears throat> And by the way, for those of you who were here with us last week and those online, didn't Mike Toler do a great job last week? Wow. Anyway, I was so blessed by that message. That was good. You know, uh, I love you guys. (laughs) It is such a privilege to be here to speak with you today. And I love this church, and we've been here, uh, oh, I don't know, like 11 years or something. And we've just been so blessed since we've been here, and I hope that you are going to be blessed here today as well. Well, today we want to look into this conflict uh, that took place between Barnabas and Paul on their second missionary ch- uh, journey. Now, nobody in their right mind likes conflict. I mean, there may be a few people that like this strip trouble and stuff, but most people don't like it. You know, I, when I was in a meeting uh, not long ago and there was this little bit of controversy and, and, and I was thinking, you know, I've been meaning to go to the bathroom for a while. This will be a good time to go. You know, we just don't like that kind of thing happening. But today we look in Scripture and we see these two spiritual giants, the leaders of missions in the church, and they are butting heads with one another. So I was looking at, I thought this mime here was really appropriate. You can read that. <sighs> just joking, Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, let's, uh, let's just stand and read God's Word to honor Him. Uh, we remember that the Scriptures is God's Word, and it carries the character of God. So uh, we cannot respect God without respecting His Word. So I appreciate the fact that you're willing to stand and listen to Him as He speaks. Acts 15, starting at verse 36. And some days, uh, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Assyria and Sicilia in strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. And a disciple there was named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with them, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phygean and Galatian regions. "...having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go on to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, "...come over to Macedonia and help us." When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them." So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the following day to uh, Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. You may be seated. (coughs) Father, again, we just want to thank you for your presence here. Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit does fill this place with your presence. We just ask, Lord, as we submit our hearts to you, that you would speak to us. Father, it is my prayer that each person here today would say, Lord, you tell us what to do, and whatever it is, we'll do it as we surrender our lives to you, knowing that your leading in our lives is the very best thing that could possibly happen to us. So again, Lord, we just thank you that you have chosen to redeem us through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that uh, we can have this personal relationship with you. So, Lord, our hearts are open now. Our ears are open. So we just pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to hear what you have to say. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start here in... um, (coughs) Well... (coughs) You know, as I look at the early church, uh, it was amazing at the growth that they experienced. I mean, uh, it wasn't long after this event that one of Paul's distractors, one of those people that didn't like him, that didn't like what he was doing, uh, he made this comment, he says, These men who have upset the world, and literally the word here, world, means the inhabited earth, has come here also. So the gospel had tremendous growth at the beginning. Uh, Almost immediately the gospel was spread through the whole western world just within uh, just a few years Um, Perhaps the most difficult aspect of evangelism is not simply just preaching the gospel Um, That is difficult at times But that's one of the easier parts the real part of of evangelism is follow-up And I've been on um, many mission trips and outreaches And uh, we've gone through all kinds of programs to try to get people to follow the Lord after they make that decision and it's really difficult to get people trained and, and uh, motivated and mobilized to go and do follow-up for people who make decisions. So here Paul then is going back on the second missionary journey. And his goal is, is to go back and look at the people in the churches that they had established and to follow-up and to strengthen those believers. So um Today, there's a plethora of material available for us if we want to do follow-up with people who come to know Christ. We can, you can go online and just type in your search engine, uh, just look for um, Evangelical Follow-Up, and you'll find a lot of different sources. Uh, uh, Jim Marood, who is, uh, who is one of our missionaries here, he is a missionary for Crew and um, They have lots of materials for follow-up. So if you need something, if you know there's a new believer or you're a new believer yourself, and you want to be strengthened and have a firm foundation in your faith, contact Jim. And not only would he be, I think, willing to to train you, but he has those materials available. Last year, we did a class on foundations. And uh, we have that material here at the church, so you can get some material there as well. But uh, follow-up is... um, it's very, very important to establish Christians in their faith. So, verse 37, it says, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also. Now, who is this person, John, who was called Mark, or John, uh, John Mark? Uh, <clears throat> as a disciple of, of Peter, under the control of the Holy Spirit, he was the one who actually penned the gospel of Mark. And so, uh, even though as we look at some of his failures here early in his uh, ministry, we see that later he did become a very, very strong believer. Some commentators believe that he was the young man mentioned in Mark chapter 14 who was present when Jesus was arrested. In Mark 14, it says, And they all left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. He pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Now, Mark is the only gospel that records this event, and some commentators believe that he did that like, uh, well, like some artists do sometimes when they're when they're painting a picture, and then somebody in the crowd they'll paint their own face on that person. Well, some people believe that was Mark signing the gospel here, that uh, that was actually him who did this, because there's not really a lot of reason. It kind of seems to be out of place that they just kind of put this event that happened there. So we believe that this young man was Mark. Uh, in Acts 12:12, 12, 12, it appears that John Mark's mother was the headquarters for the church in Jerusalem. It says and when Peter came to himself, he said, "I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jew- Jewish people were expecting." And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many of the uh, were gathered together and were praying. In Colossians 4.10, we discover that Mark was Barnabas's cousin. It says, uh, "Aristus, Aristicus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes, welcome him. So, later we also find that uh, Mark became very useful to, um, to Paul, that they had kind of mended their disagreement and were together. 2 Timothy 4.11, it says, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me for service. And in Philemon, Paul calls him, calls him his fellow worker. Uh, Philemon 23 says... Um, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greet you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, uh, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. So even though Mark screwed up on more than one occasion, eventually he became very useful. As a matter of fact, he's impacted all of our lives here today. For centuries, uh, Mark has impacted believers' lives through the gospel of Mark. For eternity, many people's lives will be different. Because of Mark. So even though he screwed up early in his ministry, you know, he didn't give up. How many of you have ever felt like just giving up? How many of you have gone through church conflicts and just felt like quitting church? Well, here was a guy that screwed up time and time again. And yet God used him to impact people's lives for eternity. Do you believe God can use you to do that? I believe he can. You know, uh, I'm, I've been a bit screw-up all my life, you know. Made a lot of mistakes. But, you know, God continues to use me. And God will continue to use you. So, don't give up. Uh, just keep coming back as Mark did. So, let's go to 38. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with him to the work. So, we have a map here. And... Uh, <clears throat> So we see this is their first missionary journey. And remember, they had left Antioch and went to Cyprus, and they took a ship to Perga. And, uh, and so it was here in Pamphylia uh, that Mark deserted them. Now, um, Perga right here is uh, between the, the Mediterranean Sea and the Tarsus Mountains, which are up here. So I don't know if uh, Mark was looking at those tall mountains, not wanting to pack over them or what it was, whether he had a disagreement with Paul, uh, whether Paul taking on greater leadership and Barnabas taking more of a follower role. Anyway, we don't know why Mark quit, but he quit uh, there at that time. So um, in verse 39, it says, and there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Now, this word sharp disagreement, that's, that's a good translation of this word. Um, it means to stir up, to provoke, stirring up uh, anger, sharp contention, angry dispute. So, obviously, Paul had strong feelings about not taking Mark with him. And Barnabas had strong feelings about taking Mark. This is kind of a quandary, isn't it? I mean, as we look at church history here. Here are these two spiritual giants, the leaders of the mission movement of the whole church. And yet here they are squabbling, not being able to get along. How many times have we been discouraged by church leaders because they can't get along? Pastors and elders fighting with each other, church splits, all those kind of things. It's discouraging, isn't it? But yet as we look here in scripture, we see that You know, the church has always had its problems. This is the very early church, and they were having these problems. Um, Now, I've uh, uh, led several mission trips, um, and I'm just uh, grateful that God has used me in that way. But one of the most discouraging things for a mission team leader is to have a disgruntled person on your mission team. Um, I remember once we took a team to Russia and we were working with orphans there, and I had a person on this team and I seriously thought about sending them home. But uh, there's a couple things that makes that very difficult. Number one, uh, buying new tickets to send someone home at the last minute was just it was just too much money. We couldn't afford that. And secondly, in order to send a person home on a mission trip, you have to send one of your leaders home with them to take care of them on that trip. So it's a real hardship. And so here we have Mark, who was about ready to, well, he did bail on this mission trip. Um, So this was uh, especially challenged for them. Um, They uh, had started this leg of the ship, or the trip, by ship. And uh, when they got off the ship, of course... uh, They couldn't take a plane or a train or a stagecoach or even a mule or a horse. They just didn't have those resources. So it meant that they had to walk and uh, they had to hoof it. And the whole time they hoofed it, they had to carry everything they needed on their backs. Well, with Mark taking off, that left one mule short (laughs) of taking all their supplies. I don't know if you've ever gone. Anybody here gone backpacking in the wilderness? Okay, when you go backpacking in the wilderness, there's two main things you have to consider. Number one, you want to take everything you need. You're probably not going to find a Walmart around the next hill, all right? So you've got to take all your supplies with you. And secondly, it's almost the reverse of that. You want to have the least amount of items as possible. Why, we would even take our toothbrushes and cut them in half to cut down the weight on our packs. You know, you leave in the morning and you're... you're, Your pack weighs 45 pounds, and when you arrive at camp that night, it weighs over 100. (laughs) And so they had to carry everything that they would need. Well, here was Mark bailing on him. And not only that, they had to cross the Taurus Mountain Range, which was very difficult. And uh, not only that, but here... Traveling at this time, it it was dangerous. There were thieves. There were people who would try to rob them. And, you know, having three people was much greater deterrent than just having two people if thieves were to attack them. And then also, um, Mark was part of the team. Um, It's, you know, and that's 33% of the team had just bailed. That left them shorthanded as far as, as ministry goes. So there were a lot of reasons uh, that put uh, these people, or put Barnabas and Paul, especially Paul thinking, uh, kind of in a, in a bind because he bailed out on them. Well, in verse 40 it says, But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling through Syria and Sicily, Sicilia, strengthening the church. So this was not the first time, however, that Paul had a disagreement with Barnabas. In Galatians chapter 2, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he uh, stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloft, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's a couple questions before us. Why would these two very spiritual men... Why couldn't they find reconciliation? After all, isn't the mark of a Christian to love one another? Have you ever been in a Christian situation where you've asked those questions yourself? I remember as a, as a, young, pastor, or young, a young Christian, just maybe a, a year or two old in the Lord, I was going to this church. And they had this big church split. And I was just shocked. Because I, I, I read in the Bible, by this shall all men know that you are to my disciples, if you have love, one for another. And uh, anyway, that was very upsetting for me. And But, you know, as we look at human nature, as we look at spiritual warfare, uh, we have to realize that from the beginning of the church, almost, there was conflict. You see, we are in spiritual warfare, aren't we? And you know that some people, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, they fall into the snare of the devil to be used by him to accomplish his will. So the devil is able to speak thoughts into our mind in such a way that he can actually take captive of our minds. And, uh, and he can use us to try to thwart what God wants to do on planet Earth by using well-intentioned believers to do that. So we have to stay in the word of God and we simply have to submit to the Holy Spirit. So here, that was, that's one question. Two, who was right and who was wrong? Was Barnabas, I mean Barnabas was right, wasn't he? The fact that he was trying to disciple this young man, John Mark. And later we see that actually John Mark was used of God in a tremendous way. So he did have great potential. So was Paul wrong in not having patience to be able to take this young man with him on this mission trip? So another question, um, what can we learn about this incident? It appears, first of all, that at least the church thought that the Apostle Paul was right because they committed him to the work of God. The word, that word for commit there was used in reference to a council making a decision. So evidently the church elders at least got together and they put their stamp of approval upon Paul. Now, does that mean that they were right and that Barnabas was really the villain here? I don't know. I'm just telling you that was a decision that they made. Okay. Um, So, um, you know, I've been in ministry for over 30 years. And uh, during that time, and I hate to admit this, it grieves me, but I've offended a lot of people. As a matter of fact, I used to say, all I have to do is walk up to the pulpit and somebody gets offended, you know. And uh, again, it grieves me that that happened because I love people. My greatest desire, honestly, my greatest desire is when we stand before Jesus, is to hear him say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. And as a pastor, that has been my job is to equip and prepare you so that you can do a ministry So that when you stand before Jesus, he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I can tell you from the purity of my heart, I've I've tried to do that with everything possible within me. Um, I believe my motives were pure and good, but uh, needless to say, uh, I have offended people. As a matter of fact, I have offended people so bad that in my first church, they kicked me out. Okay? (laughs) Okay. And uh, in my third church, we had a big church split and half the people left, you know, and it was my fault. I took total responsibility for that, you know. And so do I like offending people? No, <laughs> I don't, you know. But yet it happens because we are in spiritual warfare. So the question I ask, well, in my ministry, was I wrong? And they were right. And I will tell you, I have spent hours agonizing with those questions. Did I do it right? Right. Where my mode is pure? Uh, should I have done something differently? And, you know, anyway, I, I, I don't know. I read a book recently, and it was about uh, World War II and the conflict in the East. And so this commander was asked uh, about the morality of killing the enemy. And so he paused for a moment, and then he said, just shoot them all and let Allah sort it out. You know, uh, as I come to this place in my own life, and I came to this place quite a while ago, is I, I don't know if I was right and they were wrong, or they were right and I was wrong, but I'm willing to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and let him sort it all out. And I think that's what we have to do as well in those times. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. All right, that's the goal, is to be at peace. But is it always possible? No, it's not. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul, his conclusion was, Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I haven't figured out the whole thing about church conflict. I don't know if you have or not. All I can tell you is, is from the purity of my heart, I'm going to do what I feel like God is leading me to do. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'm just going to leave it to Jesus to sort it all out. So I don't know if that's helpful for you or not, but uh, that's the only way that I can go forward in church conflict. Does that make sense? All right, so let's go on here. Chapter 16. Uh, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Well, this is our introduction to Timothy. Uh, he became a loyal disciple of Paul, and later uh, Paul would write two letters to him, 1st and 2nd Timothy. Along with Titus, the, those became what we know today as the pastoral epistles. The Pastoral epistles were basically Paul wrote to Titus and to Timothy. Um, as he started churches, he would leave those churches with them to be the pastors of them while he went and started more churches. So he left behind these epistles to teach them how you're supposed to do church, all right? So he told them how to uh, pick elders and deacons and deaconesses, talk to them about um, the morality and uh, the character of a pastor. And so he left those behind for us today so that we learn how to do church. Okay, so that's uh, where we're, in, we're introduced to this uh, Timothy here. Um, <clears throat> but Paul then um, had him circumcised. Now, does that kind of sound strange to you guys? I thought this was a kind of a strange thing. Obviously it says here that his father was Greek, so we assumed then that his mother was a Jew, and then uh, he wanted to be able to reach into the Jewish community there in Leicester and Iconium, and so therefore he felt like it would be beneficial for uh, Timothy to be cast <laughs> circumcised., <laughs> uh, yes. Well, I got your attention with that one, didn't I? <laughs> Well, circumcision, of course, you know, is usually done to babies. And, um, uh, but later, as an adult, if an adult is circumcised, um, it can be very, very painful. As a matter of fact, I looked online, and it says that there's like a four-week time between the time it takes place and that a person can do normal activity again. That's four weeks of healing. As a matter of fact, we see in, um, in Genesis chapter 34... That um, two of um, the sons of Jacob uh, wanted to uh, take over this town, and so they made a treaty with them that if they would all the males would be circumcised, then they could be a part of their clan. And so it says here in in verse 25 of Genesis 34. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi. uh, Dinah's brothers each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. So these men in the city were so incapacitated that it only took two people to wipe out every male in the whole city. So obviously, uh, being circumcised as a male, as as an adult, uh, is uh, not something that probably anybody would want to happen to them. But yet, Timothy submitted to that. Isn't that amazing? That he was willing to do that simply in obedience to God. Now, guys, I don't want you to worry. I'm not going to ask any of you here to be circumcised, all right? (laughs) But the question is, are we willing to do anything God wants us to do? Like Timothy was? You know, there's been many times in my life where I just told the Lord, Lord, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I think that's the attitude God wants all of us to have. You know, I, I'm sure that I'm quite certain that God is not going to ask you to do this. As a matter of fact, God asked each different things to different people. For instance, there was only one person in the Bible that Jesus told to go and sell all that he had and, give it to the, and, and take the money and give it to the poor and come and follow me. He didn't tell everybody that. He just told one person. Is there something that God is speaking to you about? Again, the Holy Spirit is a personal spirit. He speaks to each one of our hearts. Of course, he speaks to us through the word of God, but he speaks to us individually as well. Are you willing here today to say, God, just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Timothy had that kind of heart and he was willing to do something very extreme, I feel, uh, in order to be obedient to the Lord. You know, this was kind of strange, too, because uh, the council in Jerusalem had just taken place about what they would require of Gentile believers. And they decided that they didn't need to follow the law. And that was the message that Paul and Silas were bringing to all these churches. And because of it, they were strengthened by that. But yet here in this one incident, he calls Peter to do this thing that uh, was only done in the Old Testament. So, um So, as we go on, verse 4 says, Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem uh, for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in faith and were increasing in the number daily. So, sound doctrine uh, helps the church to grow and to mature. These were the decisions that the council in Jerusalem had given on what the Gentile believers should do. They weren't Jews, so they weren't required to follow the law. But yet here was this incident of following the law that Timothy submitted himself to. Not because he had to. It wasn't God's um, demand from Scripture. But it was what the Spirit of God was telling him to do. So we see here in verse 6 that they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian area, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. So here again is um, the second missionary journey, and uh, you can see um, where they had traveled. They went to Derby and Icomene and Lystra. And then uh, they came up here into, this area here is the Mysia area. They were prevented from going into Galatian area, uh, into Asia. Instead, they were led over to Troas, and eventually you'll see that they ended up here in Philippi. And so, like a storm front that was coming, the gospel then finally made its way to Europe. Verse 9 says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, uh, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So how does God lead? Does God lead us through visions and uh, dreams? Well, it seems like a lot of people in Scripture had visions and dreams for God and spoke to them. You know, I don't know exactly how God leads. God is so creative. He leads in so many different ways. He's God. He can do anything he wants. Okay? We know today that there are a lot of Muslims that are coming to the Lord through having visions or dreams. And they, they see Jesus calling them, similar to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. So can God use dreams and visions? Well, I guess he could. I guess He has. You know, so he can do whatever he wants to do. But let me tell you this, that 99% of everything you need to know about God's will is found in Scripture. All we have to do is obey it. So these other smaller decisions that we need to make, like, for instance, what job should I take? Or who should I marry? Or some of these life decisions. As we begin to apply God's word to our life, God's spirit will use his word to direct us. So we apply the principles we find in our in God's word, we apply them to our life, and then God's spirit will direct us to what we have to do. So uh, anyway, so uh, Paul had this vision about this man in Macedonia, asking him to come over and help them. So uh, verse 11 says, so putting out the sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to, to Samotrace and on the following to ne- uh, Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the gates to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began speaking with the women who were there. I'm glad that we have this last verse here because, it, again, it focused on ministry, not just the trips and the travel and the incidents that happened, but it ends with ministry. And you know, that's what God's called us to do, isn't it? God has called each one of us as ministers. You know, so many times in my pastoral ministry, I have stood at the pulpit and I have said, I'm not the minister of this church. You are. God does ministry through believers. Pastors and elders are simply to teach and to equip and build up the body of Christ. But ministry gets done with you guys. This is your ministry. This is not Pastor Carey's ministry. This is not the elders' ministry. This is your ministry. You are doing the work of ministry. When I came to this church uh, 11 years ago, I was amazed at how many people were active in ministry. Uh, shortly after coming to this church, I led uh, uh, an outreach called Columbia River Fest. And uh, at Columbia River Fest... Uh, We uh, presented the gospel to over 5,000 people at our fairgrounds here in the city. And uh, we had over 300 volunteers that helped us do that. And you know, the majority of those volunteers came from the people in this building, from this church. You guys, you guys are great. You know, and uh, my wife has been working with funerals. We do funerals for anybody who asks us. I mean, almost every weekend we have a funeral at this church. And you know, there are volunteers that come every week, prepare meals, get everything all ready, and you guys are doing the work of ministry. So let me just sum up here today by looking at these three points. Number one, I hate to say this, but there will always be conflict within the church. Can we accept that? All right. All right. We're not perfect. Uh, We've got our blemishes. You got pastors like me who offend people all the time. Okay. Things happen. All right. Uh, secondly, we see uh, Timothy, this young man willing to do anything that God called him to do, even to the point of being circumcised. All right, are we willing to do anything that God calls us to do? Can you pray right now from your heart and say, God, you tell me to do what to do, and whatever it is, I'll do it. That's a surrender. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. That's a calling to every believer. You know, and what I've discovered in my life is when I'm fully surrendered, I'm fully satisfied. When I'm fully surrendered, I feel the greatest significance. When I'm fully surrendered, then I'm actually fulfilling the purpose for my existence. So I would encourage you, if you have not, come to that place where you said, God, here's my life. I lift it up to you as a living sacrifice. I give it to you. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do that today. And you know what? You can trust God with your life, all right? Number one, he is the most intelligent being in the whole universe. He knows everything, okay? Number two, he's the wisest individual in the universe, uh, he he is wiser. Anyway, he's wise. He's really, really wise, okay? And uh, thirdly, he loves you. You know what? Let me tell you the secret. He loves you even more than your mother does, okay? God loves you. So here's someone who knows everything, who is all wise, and he loves you infinitely. And he has a plan for your life. And if you're willing to give up any plan that you come up with, you know, being not very smart compared to God, not being very wise compared to God, not really knowing hardly what love is compared to God, if you're willing to give up any plan that you can make with those characteristics and trust God that He has a better plan for your life than you do, then I would invite you to submit your life to God and, and go for the ride. See what He does with you. And then uh, last of all, when it comes to God's guidance and leading in your life, all right, 99% of everything you need to know about God's will for your life is found in Scripture. There's biblical principles and commands that God has given us that we find safety in obedience to what he wants us to do. Many people feel like commands are like restrictions. God wants to restrict my freedom. But actually, God's commands are like guardrails on the, on the side of the road where there's a, a precipice on the other side. They're to keep us from harming ourselves. They're ensuring that we get to the destination safely. And so, again, those three things. Number one, there is going to be conflict in the church. Okay, I'm sorry. I wish it were different, but that's the way life is. We are in spiritual warfare. Uh, so we just going to, going to have to leave. And another thing, too, you know, what do you do when, when you feel like who's right and who's wrong and you just don't know? Again, it's like this commander in the Middle east. Just shoot them all and let all us sort it out, okay? So just, just let God sort it out at the judgment seat of Christ. And then secondly, if, uh, you know, you, uh, I want to just encourage you to give your lives as a living sacrifice to God. Just say to God, God, whatever you, uh, just tell me what to do. Whatever it is, I'll do it. Okay? And then thirdly, uh, again, just to remind you, that 99% of everything you need to know about God's will is found in Scripture. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for you, and we're so grateful for this event, these events that are recorded for us in Scripture, for our example, to help us to learn. So I just pray, Lord, that we might apply it to our lives here today. So again, Father, I just pray that you would take this message, and, uh, and uh, Lord, you would make a difference for eternity in people's lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: There's nothing worth more That will ever come close There's nothing compared You're our living your prayer. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence,
2: Lord. You're just so grateful that you're our God, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life here upon earth to fulfill all righteousness for us, so that we can exchange our sin for his righteousness. Father, I just pray that you'd be with each of us today as we leave, that we would be a little bit more equipped, built up in our faith, and prepared to serve you. So again, Father, we give our lives to you, uh, knowing that as we submit our lives to you, we find significance. So we do this today. Father, I want to commit these people to be for you. I ask God your blessing upon the work of their hands this week. Pray, Father, that you make them aware of your presence of what we have just sung here today throughout their days. And Lord, again, just thank you, Lord, that you're our God and that you can use people like Timothy or excuse me, like um, like Mark, who screwed up. And uh, yet you use him to touch people's lives for eternity Lord, regardless of how many times we screw up, I want to thank you, Lord, that you can still use us. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. you dismissed.
0: Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m.